From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. You've heard the phrase, going nowhere fast. Well, you could say that the negotiations at the OECD over creating a new global tax regime were going nowhere very slowly. That was until earlier this year when the Biden administration came into office. Just by virtue of having new priorities, Biden and his Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen have reinvigorated these stalled talks, according to many of the people involved in them. One of those people was Marcus Haland. Until March of this year, he was a tax policy advisor at the OECD. Now he's managing director of tax at KPMG in Washington. Marcus talked to Bloomberg Tax's Isabel Gottlieb about the two main areas that are being negotiated on through the OECD, what it calls Pillar 1 and Pillar 2. Pillar 1 would create new rules for multinational corporations that would govern which countries they pay their taxes in, and Pillar 2 would set a global minimum tax rate. First, Marcus went into exactly what Biden and Yellen have done to change the tenor of the OECD talks. So in in general, the the new U.S. administration has turbocharged uh, the negotiations at the OECD on on both Pillar 1 and Pillar 2. Uh, And and so how has the Biden administration done that? I would point to three key factors. So the the first factor is at the February G20 meeting, Secretary Yellen removed the U.S. safe harbor proposal uh, for for Pillar 1, which many had interpreted as making Pillar 1 optional, and it was not very well received by the other countries around the table. And so it was very much a sticking point in the negotiation. So the removal of the safe harbor uh, proposal by Secretary Yellen really helped what I would what I would describe as restart the negotiation um, at the OECD, which were previously at an impasse under the prior U.S. administration. I think this, the, the second factor, the, the Biden administration recently released legislative proposals for uh, reforming the international tax rules that would significantly increase the, the U.S. tax on the foreign earnings of U.S.-based companies. So this dynamic has given uh, the, the U.S. administration a very strong stake in seeing Pillar 2 be successful at the OECD, much more so than, than, than the prior administration. It, it's also the case that some of the other countries are, are not prepared to advance the negotiation on Pillar 2 uh, you know, until the U.S. advances the negotiation on Pillar 1, which, which leads to my third factor. U.S. Treasury made a new proposal on Pillar 1 to the OECD last month that would change the scope of multinationals that are subject to the, the new taxing right that are provided by that uh, pillar. It is still early, but in general, this proposal seems to have been uh, well-received by some of the other countries around the table. So, so, so overall, you know, in looking at those three factors, I think this new administration, the political forces at play, particularly the link with the domestic legislative goals of the of the new Biden administration, has significantly increased the, the momentum of the work uh, at the OECD on, on both pillars. Let's start with pillar one. If the U.S. scoping proposal is the path forward, what questions on pillar one do negotiators need to answer next? So, you know, if there is to be an agreement, uh, you know, at the OECD, which would, of course, include the United States uh, on Pillar One, I, I do think it will need to follow the basic architecture that Treasury has proposed. And, and then to your question, you know, with this new direction of travel on scope, it does raise some new questions that negotiators will, will need to answer. First, the thresholds for revenue and profit margin will, of course, need to be agreed. 
and that'll need to be informed by Treasury's goal of of limiting the number of companies that are in scope to no more than 100. I've done some database screening and, and based on most recent financial results, a, a revenue threshold in the 20 billion range and a profit before tax margin in the 10% range st- starts to get you pretty close to the, to the 100 target, may, maybe slightly more. However, I expect even the goal of no more than 100 MEs being in scope will likely be negotiated. So, so maybe we end up with slightly lower thresholds that result in, say, 150 MEs being uh, within scope. So the first question will be where to set the thresholds, which is really just a way of deciding how many MEs sh- should be in scope. Is it 100 or 150? And, and then the thresholds will fall out from that determination. Second uh, is, is the extent of the sectoral exclusions. I think that's another point that will need to be addressed. So U.S. Treasury is clearly looking for a neutral scope with as few sectoral exclusions as possible. But I understand there may be some openness to excluding certain sectors, for example, extractives um, and and financial services. There's another question on Pillar 1 I wanted to dive into. Um, The purpose of this work, um, going back years, has been to address concerns about the taxation of the digital economy and to replace the unilateral digital taxes that many countries are enacting, um, which are themselves causing trade tensions. Uh, USTR was holding hearings just this month into six countries' measures and considering tariffs in response. Um, OECD officials have said that they're talking about how to define which unilateral measures uh, will be required to be rolled back in a global deal. What are some of the key points and challenges that negotiators are going to be dealing with on that? So as you say, it it is very clear that that any agreement at the OECD must come with uh, a commitment from from countries that have implemented unilateral measures, including the digital services taxes, to to remove those measures. I think there's general agreement on that as a principle, but then once you move beyond that, challenges you know quickly rise to the surface the the, the definition of what is a unilateral measure I, I think that needs to be bottomed out there's also questions about you know what about timing so, so the blueprint links the removal of the unilateral measures with the implementation so not an OECD agreement but to implementation and that could be a year off or so I think that's another point of negotiation and then there's a big question around just the process for evaluating not existing measures, but future unilateral measures. There have been talk about a peer review process, but but I think that needs a lot of work and, and, and to be flushed out. Um, turning to Pillar 2, the Biden administration is talking about raising the rate for guilty, the U.S.'s own global minimum tax on companies' foreign income, to 21%. Can you talk about the way that's going to pressure other countries um, to perhaps go higher on the Pillar 2 rate, what those discussions looked like um, when you were at the OECD uh, until a few months ago, um, uh, where the rate was was going to land then, um, and where do you see kind of pushback to uh, a U.S. push for a higher rate? Now, so the the OECD released an economic impact assessment as a companion piece with the two blueprints last um, fall, and the 
minimum rate that was assumed in that impact assessment to score the, the revenue implications of Pillar 2 was 12.5%. So I think that provides a window into where the OECD thought the minimum rate could land. With, with the Biden administration now going in the direction of 21% for, for guilty, the U.S. Will, will clearly try to raise the, the Pillar 2 minimum rate as much as possible to contain the, the, the competitive co- uh, concerns associated with, with going to 21 on, on guilty. I think even with, you know, we've seen um, public indications from France and Germany that they're now backing a 21% rate. I, I personally don't see any path to a pill, Pillar 2 minimum rate at or, or really even near 21%. There's opposition to that high of a rate from from several other countries, and and most publicly we've we've heard uh, from, from Ireland, uh, but but I think the opposition goes um, well beyond that. So, for example, I haven't heard China say much about Pillar Two, and I think China may be reluctant to join the agreement on Pillar Two generally, let alone at a, at, a, at a rate of twenty one percent. So I think so. It, it it seems that the discussion of a twenty one percent minimum rate on Pillar Two is is mostly theater. I, I would say. I also think there is a question about whether the U.S. will even go to 21% once it's all said and done. Uh, there's been uh, public indications um, you know, from some officials involved in the OECD negotiations that the OECD will likely not agree the Pillar 2 minimum rate until after the U.S. decides what, uh, you know, where they want to go on the guilty rate. So there is a there is a a bit of you go first no you go first dynamic at play um, on the minimum rate question, but it does seem the direction of travel is first the U.S. will go and then the OECD will go, but in any case, it seems very unlikely that anything around twenty one percent can be agreed at the OECD. Another point on pillar two that it could be a friction point between what the U.S. at least what the Biden administration wants and what um, countries involved in the Pillar 2 negotiations are looking at has been the question of a substance-based carve-out. The Biden administration is proposing taking such a carve-out out of guilty, um, but there have been indications from the OECD that something like that would have to be part of the Pillar 2 plan to get agreement. Can you explain what we're talking about here, why this is a key issue for some countries, and what could be the effect if the U.S. guilty regime ends up with no carve-out, but Pillar 2 does have one. The, the discussion on the carve-out on Pillar 2 is really a proxy battle over the policy objective. So some countries view Pillar 2 as being about a race to the bottom in tax competition. And if that's your view, then no carve-out is entirely appropriate. Uh, but many other countries view Pillar 2 as not about tax competition at all, but but really it's it's anchored in this concept of remaining BEPS risks. So I so it, it, it's for that reason that I think the carve-out that's currently in the blueprint will, will need to stay, notwithstanding um, encouragement from the U.S. to get rid of it. And, um, and by BEPS, you're referring to the OECD's ongoing work to crack down on corporate base erosion and profit shifting. Um, looking ahead now to the potential finish line of all of this, the top tax official at the OECD has said that he's hopeful for what he referred to as political agreement in July, and it sounds like they're looking to get a lot more details nailed down in October. Do you think we're on track for a deal? And if we get one, what comes next in terms of uh, implementation challenges? 
So I, I do think we're on track uh, for, for a deal. I think the timing is a little bit in question, but I do think we're, we're on track. And, and that's just because the, the political forces at play that we've talked about, particularly the link with the U.S. domestic legislative goals of the, of the current uh, U.S. Uh, administration, has very positively affected the, the, the momentum of the work at the OECD. And, and in my opinion, the, the stars do seem to be aligning for an international agreement on both pillars with with some key aspects, I, I think, to be agreed at the at the inclusive framework meeting at the end of June, and then likely a more comprehensive agreement later in the year. So I do think um, an OECD level agreement does seem to be on track. Now, you raised a, a, a separate issue, which is, you know, how does that uh, OECD level agreement ultimately get implemented? Implementation in the U.S. and focusing on pillar one would require changes to domestic law and also changes to tax treaties. I think it's fair to say there's always been a high degree of skepticism in the U.S. tax community about whether Congress would actually implement the OECD agreement. But but what seems to fly under the radar is the implementation challenges on, on Pillar 2 outside of the United States, particularly in Europe. So we've heard from government officials in Europe that, that Pillar 2 would need to be implemented via an EU directive, which requires support from, from all EU member states. In recent weeks, we've seen some indications from several countries in Europe that they're uncomfortable with at least some aspects of Pillar 2. So I've already mentioned you know, the, the, the comments from Ireland. So it's not obvious, at least to me, that Pillar 2 can actually be implemented in Europe. And, and this is very important for the United States because a successfully implemented, robust Pillar 2 is really the U.S. prize in the work at the OECD to manage the competitiveness issues with the proposed changes to guilty. So I think the risk for the U.S. is that they agree to some limited form of Pillar 1, warts and all, in exchange for a Pillar 2 paper tiger because it can never be implemented. I think that is a, is a really important issue that, that probably doesn't get enough attention, but I'm sure U.S. Treasury is absolutely thinking about that. That was Marcus Haland, a former tax policy advisor at the OECD and now managing director of tax at KPMG in Washington, talking with Bloomberg Taxes' Isabel Gottlieb. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard or really anything else, reach out to us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Talking Tax is produced by myself, David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. We chanted, we work, we work, and then we hit a gong. We'll take you inside the company with interviews from people who helped build WeWork and exclusive tapes of internal meetings. None of us want to look back and say, I could have done more. This could have been bigger. This could have been better. That's not acceptable. You do not get a chance like this again. None of us do. This is a new podcast from Bloomberg Technology called Foundering. Foundering. 